Hello and welcome to Plot Twist. This is Lane. This is Meg. And today we're reviewing Mind Till Midnight by Lisa Kleypas. So this was published in 2007 and is the first book in the Hathaway series. I'm so excited! We're very, we're like so excited to get to the Hathaways. <laughs> the thing is, I've actually only read the first one in the series, but I've read it four times now. So are you telling me you, you like this book? I'm saying I like it, but I don't know why I haven't kept going. <laughs> <laughs> You're just waiting. You're just waiting for an excuse. Now you have one. Oh, the back book jacket. When an unexpected inheritance elevates her family to the ranks of the aristocracy, Amelia Hathaway discovers that tending to her younger sisters and wayward brother was easy compared to navigating the intricacies of the town. Even more challenging, the attraction she feels for the tall, dark, and dangerously handsome Cam Rohan. Wealthy beyond most men's dreams, Cam has tired of society's petty restrictions and longs to return to his uncivilized gypsy roots. When the delectable Amelia appeals to him for help, he intends to offer only friendship, but intentions are no match for the desire that blindsides them both. But can a man who spurns tradition be tempted into that most time-honored arrangement, marriage? Life in London society is about to get a whole lot hotter. This is a terrible jacket. It's really bad. I mean, the it only not... thing the only thing we have here is that Amelia's family has a new inheritance. Cam is rich and is attracted to Amelia. Everything Everything else is incorrect. Is profoundly inaccurate. So let's just go through the lies in order. Um, She is not put off by navigating the intricacies of the ton. All of her drama is navigating her family issues and their financial struggles. And yeah, okay, I guess she is conflicted about her attraction to Cam, but okay. Okay, question. He says he's tall, dark, and dangerously handsome. Is he tall? No, I didn't get it's the actually, feeling that he was tall. There's a big deal made about the fact that he's smaller than Maripin. Right? Anyway, I, I so was like, like I always had the feeling short. that he was like, not short, but like compactly handsome. Yeah, I think it was sort of implied he was taller than Westcliff, who is notably short. Right. And shorter than Maripin, who's notably tall. So I think he's like, look, my guess is in the world of romance novel heroes, he's like 5'10", 5'11". Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> sure. I don't know. I guess just, and it's just so cliche, tall, dark, and handsome. Yeah. But, I mean, whatever. It's so, fine. next point. Um, he's not trying to be her friend. <laughs> no. No, he never tries to be her friend. And he's not particularly anti-marriage. He's anti-English society? Yeah. And also, this whole book takes place in Hampshire. So why is life in London society about to get a whole lot hotter? Yeah, and then all the intricacies of the town. Like, they don't really travel in the town, you know? At all. So, so yeah. this is honestly one of the worst jackets I've ever read in terms of accuracy, and it does nothing to promote the spirit of the book. No, no. Okay. Let's see if our summaries are any more accurate. We only had eight words this episode to to get our accuracy across. So, Lane, take it away. Sister mom of poor Viscount falls for rich rom. Not bad, not bad. All right, here's mine. Amelia overcomes prejudice 
by marrying a rich dude. Yep. I mean, I, I don't hate it. I don't hate the fact that he's rich because whatever. <laughs> I mean, I read a historical romance, so. It's also hilarious. I do think the, the, the what they play up here, which is that he's, they make a big deal that in Rom society, material goods are useless. Yeah. And so he's really opposed to material wealth, wealth of all kinds. So he keeps trying to get rid of his money and can't. I love it. I love that so much. One of my favorite parts about the book actually is that he, he just doesn't, he wants to like survive and live in the moment, you know? Mm-hmm. And he, first of all, he starts drawing not only a salary, but like a percentage of the profits of the club. Oh gosh. I'm already getting ahead of myself. So then he works for the club that St. Vincent runs that his wife, Evie Jenner, inherited from her dead father in Devil in Winter. And in Devil in Winter, you may also recall that Cam has a moment alone with Daisy in A Secret Passageway. And Meg and I expounded on the fact that we were so surprised they didn't end up together because clearly that's the direction everything had been going. Yeah. Okay, so Cam, when the club starts, like, making lots of money, um, St. Vincent uh, decides that he's got to pay, not only pay him, like, a salary, which he was getting, like, a pittance before, uh, but to give him a percentage of the profits. And so Cam is trying to get rid of the money. So he makes all these imprudent investments, but the people he invests in then use the money really wisely and he he earns all the money back and more so he he tries to get rid of the money and he just can't well this is a clapis so we have tons of tropes yeah so we we have the fish out of water so the hathaways as was implied in the official book jacket they're a family that uh of country gentry so they weren't you know poor or anything like that um the father was a scholar, and then the mother was a Victorian mother, I guess, <laughs> you know, was a wife. <laughs> and um, the oldest brother, the only brother, actually, so there's a brother and four um, sisters. So the brother, Leo, trained as an architect. And then a couple of years ago, tragedy hit the family. The parents died. Leo, the brother's fiance, died. And then um, he inherited this viscountcy uh, with a little bit of extra money. And since he's inherited, he's been going out in the town and basically just wasting the money. Yeah, so it's implied their parents died tragically. And the family kind of made do as the five siblings. Leo was engaged, training to be an architect. And then... Leo's fiance died and Leo and one of the sisters, Wynne, got really ill with mm-hmm. plague. With um, scarlet fever. Scarlet mm-hmm. fever. Uh, and so the fiance died, Leo and Wynne recover, but ever since then, Leo has been a wastrel, drunkard, depressive, and coming into the title and the money, while it alleviated some of their immediate concerns, they're primarily being the oldest sister, Amelia. He didn't shake it out of out of it for that so it's not getting the inheritance that's made him a spendthrift alcoholic he was before they got the inheritance but it didn't cure him either yeah 
um, which takes us back to the trope of fish out of water. Basically, there's this family that was, you know, just a, a, a comfortably upper middle class family has has now been elevated to the aristocracy and they're trying to find their way, um, save Leo. And yeah, and then it's actually the opposite as well for Cam. So he's a fish out of water as well in a different way. Right. So Cam was the illegitimate child of a Rom woman and an Irish man. The Irish man left the picture before Cam was born. Cam has no idea if his father even knows his mother was pregnant and that he exists. He was raised by his grandparents until he was 10, at which point they mysteriously told him to go get a job in London that he was in danger and he wasn't allowed to live with the Rom anymore. They're like, you're in danger. Go work at the the gambling hell. Jenner's. I'm not sure. I'm not sure why Jenner's. I, I guess maybe it's the only place that would hire a Rom. A Rom 10-year-old orphan to work. Very bizarre. And they all told him when they abandoned him, like, we'll come back for you someday. But obviously no one ever has. And they haven't been back. Haven't He hasn't seen anyone since. So, so he's obviously know. a fish out of water in that he is a Rom with a place in English society. Yes. Uh, and then that's, it's very... I'm not sure how to say it. I, I like it. I actually like how it's done here. Um, but the Hathaway, so Amelia's family, took in a young uh, Romany man who, at what age? What, 12 maybe? Ish, yeah, young. So um, his name is Maripen. And he has lived with the Hathaways for, you know, 15, 20 Ish. years at this point. I think they say 11 or 12, but yeah. Oh, okay. Sorry. So he must have been a little older than 12 then. Or he's a little younger, because I think he's supposed to be younger than Amelia and Cam. No, he's older than Cam. Okay. Yeah. I I only remember this because of an important occurrence in the second book. Got it. Um. Anyway. <laughs> so, but the point is, though, that he was this found child that now is part of the family. It gets along with him really well. He really is treated as part of the family. Um, but it's this weird in between. And I think that's the way it usually is with found children where, like, they make the choice to other themselves. Yes. In a way. He makes the choice to, to do it. To, to kind of act as not a servant, but as the protector of the whole family. Yeah. Protector. Mm -hmm. And while he travels with the family when they're together, he won't attend dinners in society, even when he's invited with the family. Yeah. I, I do kind of like how he is presented as his choice. He's like, how, why would I want to go to a nice dinner with you? I thought it was, I liked it. Basically. I liked the way it was handled. I did too. And he's totally a piney, angsty, tragic hero that, somehow I'm into even though it's everything I say I hate so like I'm really looking forward to the rest of these books (laughs) yeah but I mean let's say let's compare with rebellious desire where we we hated the found child yes right where there was a there was a black man who was a runaway slave they took him in adopted him as part of the family but they they never once really gave him a line of dialogue right um and he act he acted as a servant slash protector as well and Maripin and Cam are interesting because 
they have similar origin stories in that they're misplaced uh, Rom youth that are half Romani, half not. Mm. And they also, through the story, you find out there's more linking them than just those biographical facts. Mm-hmm. But they have very different relationships with English society, their conception of themselves, their Rom roots. And so I do think the choice to have both characters introduced in the same book, or at least fleshed out in the same book, technically Cam was introduced earlier, is interesting because I think it gives you a more complex view of kind of being this other in English society than just seeing it from one of their perspectives. Yeah, I thought it was I thought it was well done. I thought it was really a good choice on Clayfus's part to have not just like the one exemplar of, you know, this, this different culture, this different society. I right. mean, I'm not saying that the way she handles it is perfect, but I am saying that I liked that we had these two different characters. Yep. Um, so as I mentioned in my summary, Amelia is the oldest sister of the clan and she's effectively everyone's mother. And yeah, she- she's decided to never marry just to like oversee her sister's seasons. Yeah. Well, plus she's 26, so we all know that's like 46 in today's society, apparently. Yeah, ancient. She's dying. <laughs> she's old. She's firmly on the shelf. <laughs> so uh, yeah. Amelia's life is kind of a hot mess, as we've described. Leo is like drinking himself to death. Wind is still barely recovered from scarlet fever. Um, one of the siblings is a kleptomaniac. I, the other just exists, but sh- they also were very poor. Their house is like a ramshackle. And so not just is her life personally tragic and she's like drawn to love in this time of personal tragedy, but it's also clearly, uh, I have been strong and independent for so long and I am so looking for someone to lean on. I mean, she's not, the thing is she's not looking for someone to lean on, but when she gets one, like, I love, in this book, it's constantly conveyed through sleep. Yeah. That, like, prior to meeting Cam, Amelia, like, barely sleeps and is up at the crack of dawn and is constantly doing for everyone else. And the second she meets Cam, no matter how dire the situation is, she's like, whoops, I slept till noon. There's, like, a literal, a literal comparison with another man. Um, I, 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 like, love it so much, actually, where... She she asks this other this other guy comes and is like, is there if there's anything I can do for you, that would be great. And she's like, well, actually, you can do this one thing for me. And the guy's like, yeah, I'll see what I can do. Obviously, just like not doing it. And she sees Cam and she's like, Cam, can you just do this one thing? And he's like, I'm I'm doing it right now. Like, yes, I'm I'm doing doing all the things. It's fine. And the guy who comes back and offers to assist her uh, is a returned ex-lover who scorned her. Yes. Yes. Returned ex-lover trope. Um, I will say Cam, so Cam and Amelia have different, um, outlooks on life. Basically, Amelia wants to manage everything. Everything is by the schedule. She wants to get everything done. As, as Lane just said, she's the mom of the family and she basically, she does all the emotional labor for the family. And Cam is very much like, yeah, you know, whatever happens, happens. It's going to be great. Like, yeah, take care of whatever for you. But, um, I feel like saying she does all the emotional labor for the family discounts Mary Penn a little bit. Mary Penn doesn't do a lot of emotional labor, in my opinion. For when? (laughs) 
<laughs> okay. Um, but what my point was that this leads to a lot of arguments. There are different yeah. outlooks on life lead to a lot of arguments. And the way they solve most of these arguments is by Cam just kissing her. So are they really solved or are they just postponed? I mean, in real life, they're just postponing these arguments. But in book life, in fantasy life, I am fine if I'm like freaking out about how to get someone somewhere on time and this super hot guy is like, don't worry about it and like kisses me to stop me talking about it. In fantasy life, I'm fine with it. The thing is, it's not just kissing her to shut her up. There is a very memorable scene against a, a tree uh -huh. when he's decided they, they're getting married and she has not agreed yet. Mm -hmm. And like... Was I comfortable with the persuasion tactics employed in this scene in real life? No. In fantasy life, yep. That's the thing. Like, in real life, that that is a no-go for me. In fantasy life, you can persuade me however you want, Cam. Yes. The, there were some creative solutions. There was a <laughs> lot of uh, complex problem-solving. Yeah, so to, to use my favorite phrase from The Highwaymen... He's a very solution-focused person. Solution-oriented solution thinking. Yes, yes, the very solution-oriented. Yeah, um, found a solution for a lot of things. I mean, it's the same solution. But sure. That's fine. So there are a lot of in people who sustain injuries in this text. It's not really Cam and Amelia themselves. Mm-hmm. But there is a lot of him taking care of her emotionally because she's so traumatized by the physical ailments of everyone around them. Yeah. And one of the ways that he, like, shows his commitment to her is by helping his, her family through their illnesses. Yes. I, I love it so much. Ugh. It's pretty perfect. That's really good. Okay. I think that's, like, the big tropes. I'm sure we'll hit more. but I'm sure. So this one, I, I just want to, like, come right off the bat. I know we alluded to it in the tropes, but it was kind of offensive. Like, he is really motivated by jealousy and possession. There's a lot of mine, mine, mine in the text. Uh-huh. Um, he gets mad at her at one point for being alone in the room with a man who is not her brother. Yeah. And then straight up forbids her from ever meeting with a man alone again. She does not agree, mind you. And I but, will say he, at the end, he does sort of give in. He's like, oh, fine. You just have to understand this is hard for me. I, I'm just saying, like, it it romanticizes a degree of protectiveness that, like, yes. I am I am ultimately very disturbed by. Yeah. In this book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. And I think, I do think that Clavis does a, a good job of giving us two characters who this works for yeah I think that's part of it is that this wouldn't have worked for me if it were a different a different heroine I don't think yeah I, I believe that she is going to continue standing up to him yeah but that said, yeah. I wish she didn't have to <laughs> exactly I feel like we just had this conversation with devil in winter you know yeah but I liked it better here I know you did. <laughs> uh, um, we did, we talked about this a little bit already, but 
uh, Maripen is a huge part of this book. Uh, now he is, he is in love with one of the sisters with Wynne. So she's yes. the, she's the second oldest sister. She's the third oldest in the family. I think she did a great job with the family dynamics. Yes, I think she did a fa fabulous job with the family dynamics. The only thing I'd point out, and this is not a criticism, I think Elizabeth Hoyt, we talk a lot about how she project, like sets up the second book in the previous book, and then mm -hmm. she does it really badly. This I think it's done huge. well here, Yeah, but it's a huge percentage of the text. The huge percentage of the text. I read this book when it came out. So this is 2000. I actually remember when I read this book. I read it. <laughs> I hope I hope my my old boss isn't reading isn't listening to this. So I um I read it at work. So I worked at a um I was working at a university as a I was a temp worker and I was working as the secretary basically. And it's the summer. Like nothing happens on campus in the summer. Like and my boss like the person I was a secretary for was on vacation. Like nobody was coming to this office. And so I was like reading this book under the table. <laughs> and I remember like, I remember being like, Oh my God, should I be reading this at work? This is like really sexy. <laughs> the answer is no. You no, should I should not. That is, there are too many pages that if someone accidentally saw you be judged. I mean, it was under the, under the keyboard. Okay. But still, still. The, I mean, you yeah, know, it's profoundly sexy, but the parts that are not near pornographic are of Win and Maripin. Yeah, that's what I was going to say is I, I read this when it came out and when it got to the end and nothing was resolved with Win and Maripin or even Cam and Maripin, I was like, I was shocked. I was like, what? I was like, where's the rest of this book? I will say that Clape is doing that. I went out and I immediately bought this book when it came out, the next book. Yeah, this is a little bit Sabrina Jeffries-esque. In that, I think you can tell from the first book that it's going to take most of the series to have all of the loose ends tied up. It's really very interesting because it, it takes four books out of a five-book series to basically wrap everything up. Oh, weird. And then the last book is basically just a love story, which, which is fine. Like, it's fine. But I will say, when I first read it, that final book was sort of a letdown because I was like, oh, there's no more little things to wrap up, you know? Okay. So I will say the last 25% of this book gets weirdly paranormal. Does. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I don't know how I feel about paranormal kind of coming out of the blue in a book about the ROM. It's very odd. I think it's an odd choice especially because this is the only book in the series. It's really one of the very few books that Lisa Kleypas has done that has any paranormal element to it. Yeah. And I, like I said, I just think it's a weird choice because ultimately this is a book about a, a group of people who are misunderstood and ostracized in society. And uh, okay, fine. He can read palms and he believes in fate and he tries to tell her her own journey through palm reading. That was already a little bit like, all right, like, I don't know if we needed to add more mysticism to an already mm -hmm. Christian people. And then when you got to the full on the haunting of Hill House aspect, I was yeah. like, I don't know that I, like, the thing is, I'm saying this, I really liked it. I liked how it played out. I liked, like, all the interactions between the characters and the context of this paranormal activity. But I just ultimately, like, from a macro view, 
am kind of uncomfortable with the choice to put it in. I think I would have liked it better if it were a metaphor, which is which is what I thought when I first read the book. When I first read it, I was like, yeah, this is like a metaphor for mourning and grieving. It was not a metaphor, guys. Like there's there's a ghost in the house. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just saying, like, I kind of I wish it had been a metaphor. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. It should have been a metaphor. We we've we're gonna get there because we've talked a lot already talked around it a lot about the stuff about the ROM and things like that. I just finally, before we get to possible offensiveness or trigger warnings, I just want to say that I love that he has like all this jewelry. Like so much. He has an earring. He has like rings on like practically every finger. He's got a thumb ring. Like a pinky whole, ring. A pinky ring, like everything. I'm also not normally into guys who wear jewelry, but I'm into cam. <laughs> I um, come from a culture where men wear a lot of jewelry. Mm-hmm. So it's not something that really registers for me as a positive or a negative most of the time. Like when it's too much, I notice it. But like a guy who wears a gold chain is not like weird to me. Yeah. And I have been made fun of for that on several occasions. So oh, I am neither. I, I wouldn't make fun of you for that. I'm neither neither pro nor anti Cam's jewelry. I, to me, it's just like, okay, this is a dude who wears jewelry. Oh, well, I liked it. What do you want to say? I don't know. I, I liked that it was gold. Nice. I liked that it was gold. I liked that he, it, it's like several of his rings play a role in their sex life. And their emotional life. In their emotional life. Sexual, sexual, social life. Yeah. <laughs> So, as we mentioned, we do have to touch on offensiveness. So, the Rom are more conventionally known as gypsies in the text. I don't necessarily love all of the ways that their culture was handled and portrayed. I think all the main characters are very not racist. I mean, for lack of a better word. Mm-hmm. But it's too easy for the bad guys to indicate that they're actually bad guys by being real racist. And I don't necessarily think that the culture, the true culture of the ROM was given the attention it deserves if you're going to make it such a big part of your plot. Yeah. Um, yeah. I I think so. What I thought was interesting and I thought was a good choice. So I read it paying particular attention to the vocabulary choices this time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I thought it was really interesting. So she does use the word gypsy a few times, but it is never used by Cam when he thinks about her or when he says it. And I think it's a really, she does a good job of differentiating the characters in their interior life and how they think about things. So I thought that was well done. Yeah. I don't think it was the worst handling of it I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. I, honestly, I'd say it's probably in the upper half. Mm -hmm. of handling there was nothing particular about it that offended me other than like I said the emphasis on mysticism the emphasis on mysticism and also for me the emphasis on I'm very sexual jealous person because I'm a rom right the controlling thing being passed off as a rom thing was uncomfortable in the same way that like tempers being passed off as Irish are is uncomfortable with obviously less racial implications but like whenever entire cultural groups are pigeonholed especially negatively that isn't great yeah 
Um, I have two more, like, just FYIs. One, uh, that's a no on the toe sucking for me. <laughs> As we've established, feet, we've, not. Lane, Lane doesn't thing. like that part. I don't know. Didn't bother me any, but does appear in the text. So if you are sensitive to that. Yeah. Um, and I will say, we talked a lot about how, like, there's a lot going on here that we don't typically like, but we're willing to give it a pass in line with the fantasy. And it's a lot of, like, the intertwining of sex and arguments. I'm willing to look past that, but he won't let her finish a damn sentence when they're arguing and not just kissing her and shutting her up. Like he can't stop interrupting her. Yeah. And I, I really, I think I would have been less bothered in some ways by his possession and by the sex fights if she'd been able to fully articulate a thought. Yeah. I, I, it didn't bother me. And I, again, I think it was because of how their characters were portrayed. Yeah. That she's like very anal and like very, she, she explained her thought. And then she, I, to me, Clayfus was trying to show her like spiraling. And that's why he interrupted her. You know, like so I said, like, okay, I, let's stop this now. But, I overall liked this book. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not trying to like pick nits with this. I really, really liked this. I really enjoyed the sex fight scenes. <laughs> I'm just saying this book could have been a five for me mm-hmm. if there'd just been a little less chauvinism and control. Yeah. Yes. Agreed. Um, so let's talk about one of the particular strengths of this book, the sexiness. Oh, God. Here's the thing. I think there was some memorable sex in the Wallflower series. Mm-hmm. But with the exception of Devil in Winter, I don't think anybody reflects on any of the Wallflowers books as particularly sexy books. Mm-hmm. This was a sexy book. Very sexy, yes. Yeah. And their, like, their sexual relationship is the core of their real relationship. And that's not to downplay their actual emotional connection, because I think Lisa Kleypas does a great job setting them up as compatible out of the bedroom. But the very first scene they're in together, he's like making out with her against a carriage and pulling mm-hmm. her bonnet ribbons. Like, it takes 15 pages for them to start getting their hands all over each other. I am mm-hmm. not complaining, mm-hmm. but this is not a like deny, deny, deny. And then it's like the, until they can finally like have their first kiss. This is a, their scenes together are ramping up from the first chapter. Oh, also, I'm sorry. We missed this trope, but they, they get caught in a place where they shouldn't be. And so to cover it up, he kisses her. Yeah. To cover up their real reason for being in a room. Um, but then of course they can't stop and they just keep making out. I love it. And the person who catches them is like, please continue. He's yes. The person who catches is like, I'll be back in checks, watch 15 minutes. And I trust you will no longer be here. (laughs) (laughs) Great. But it's it's just, it's increasingly sexy, and it's a lot of really sexy making out, building yes. up to everything. That said, there is a lot of quiz interruptus. There are two scenes that are interrupted. Uh, one by choice. Mm-hmm. Which, that's a very strange choice to make, Cam. That's all I have to say. Especially then to go outside. Lane is like not into it (laughs) and I get that it was really really cute it was a callback to an earlier conversation they had about romantic heroes and he was like playing the part it was adorable but also the bugs also the bugs yeah I don't know like
I think it would have been fine if they hadn't been like hot and heavy. And then she's like, basically like, take me. And he's like, hold that thought. Let's, Let's go get for on a, a horse, horse ride. Yeah. And then basically start the cuddling over from the beginning. Yeah. So like finish, finish your first thought cam. Then you can go do the horse thing. Yeah. And then the second time they're interrupted by an actual emergency and it's a, another character and it's not the first time. So it's not like putting yeah, off but inevitable. It but is the final scene in the book. The final sex scene. Uh-huh. No, no yeah. it's not. Nope. Because they definitely have sex after they come back from saving Leo. Yeah, but it's not like. It's not detail. as graphic, but it's not the final sex scene. I consider it the final sex where scene. Where they get, it's funny, like most of the time, I feel like when Coitus Interruptus happens, either it's like right at the end anyway, mm-hmm. or it's before it really gets started. Uh-huh. This was very mid. Very mid. I was like, Lisa, not sure what you were going for here. Well, she was going for shock interruption, which it, I was shocked. I mean, I was shocked. I feel like I'm shocked every time I read this book. I'm like, wait, what? I kind of forget that that happens. I kind of forget where they are when that happens. And it's like, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yes. Um, very, very true. Very true. Now I'm thinking about it. And I'm like, yes. I Yes. Mm-hmm. So I think both of us really like their, their relationship as in she's a very strong one. She doesn't need anyone, but it is really nice to have someone to help you and like be a helpmeet Mm -hmm. and like take on part of that burden for you. Yes. I also, similar to that, they're just particularly well suited. Like he's fulfilling her every wish to be supported and he's fulfilling her every wish to burn money. Yes. Uh, she's supporting his every wish to get rid of his money. But I also think you talked about or I talked about a couple episodes ago, how a good sex scene and a good like lust and us has a lot to do with physicality and their awareness of each other. And like, I want to know what hands are doing. Mm-hmm. This book is the example of what I mean when I say hands, mm-hmm. like every single kissing scene, you know, when it, his hands are in her hair, if they're grabbing her face or if hers are around his back, like yeah, the, the physical awareness they have of one another and how it's conveyed to the reader is pitch perfect. Um, I will also say that I have talked about this before, specifically about Lisa Kleypas, where she tells, she has her hero will like take care of you. And this is like, this is that turned up to 11 because not only, he's not just doing it in bed. Which right. most of her heroes do in bed. They're like, oh, you, don't worry, I'll take care of you. You know, <laughs> lie back, relax, I'll take care of it. There is literally a scene where he shows up unexpectedly because he got the scent she needed him. He walks in the door, she just collapses crying in his arms, and her sister outlines everything that's gone wrong. And he, like, makes himself a to-do list and just solves every one of her problems within a day. Oh, so good, right? It's you talk about a fantasy. I was going to say, like, this is the real fantastic part of the book. <laughs> also, I think he goes down on her in every sex scene. Um, I think so. Pretty sure. Which, just to, like, once again, really underscore that he is there to take care of her. Mm-hmm. I also wanted to point that out, too. So we have talked about how he's controlling, this, some of the sex is controlling, blah, blah, blah. Yes. 
I'm not going to argue with that. I will say it struck me this time reading the book again, just because I start paying more attention to it, but it's really common in historical romance for the guy to like go down on the woman. And she's like, wait, what are you doing? Like, don't do that. Stop. And then he's like, he just usually brushes her hands away or hold her down and like continues. And then she's like, Oh yeah, this is awesome. Yes. But what Cam does in this book is he's like, he's like look I think you're really gonna like it let me do it if you don't like it I promise I'm gonna stop let's just try it and 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 she's like okay okay we'll try it and I don't know I just liked I just liked that she obviously in my opinion she had been thinking about how this like goes down normally in historical romance and I was like okay you know what when someone says no even if they're going to like it. You should probably at least have a conversation before you keep going. And it's interesting because I know that having the conversation is him like explaining and educating her. Mm-hmm. I think the issue is usually in historical romance, it's an experienced hero and an inexperienced heroine. And that's kind of a scene indicating that he's educating her in the sexual arts and that he's, he knows more than she does Yeah, about her own body. And weirdly, for all that that dynamic is in play, in play here with Amelia being a virgin and Cam being very experienced, I think that the way that this scene particularly played out sort of subverts that. Yeah. But it didn't feel like a, I know more about your body than you. It felt very much like an extension of her character. Like, girl, you are so high, strong, let go. Yes, exactly. So it, I feel like it, it took a very traditional model, but one, by having him take the time to get enthusiastic consent... And by having it really play into who they were as characters, it ended up feeling like she was a lot more mature Mm -hmm. in a way I liked too. Yeah. And I mean, look, I'm not going to say every single sex scene in this book has enthusiastic consent. Oh, because it doesn't. um, It doesn't. Like there's this really hot scene outside against a tree that's, um, she's literally like, not here, not here, not now. Don't do it. (laughs) He's like, hold your skirts. And there's another scene that she he initiates in the bedroom and she's like, there is stuff going on. This is a bad time. And she finally caves with, oh my God, if you're going to do it anyway, lock the door. She's like, if you're going to do it anyway, lock the door and please don't rip my clothes. And then he rips her clothes. Yeah. So, um, um, again, <laughs> not saying that every single scene is perfect, but this one I thought did it particularly well. <laughs> this is definitely a book that I can't think too hard about or I can nitpick it to death, but like overall, I really like this book. Mm-hmm. I really like the Hathaways. I really like Cam. I really like Maripin. I think this is one of the best executions of Wex- Westcliff because, oh, don't worry, Claypus trope. We're at Westcliff's estate again. <laughs> oh my God, how did we forget? We're at Westcliff's house, guys. I think it's a good series starter because you really, you want to find out how everyone else is going to get there happily ever after. So, yeah. So overall, highly recommend. We're obviously going to be reviewing the rest of the series. So if you want to read them along with me, because I am totally in the dark about what happens next, uh, please join us. And we will talk to you next time on Plot Trist. Thanks for listening. <laughs>